Young women have been growing up with an indoctrination of what womanhood is and what it should be. They've been taught everything that is in direct opposition to the Word of God. Young women who want to be different from the world are rare, but they are real. On this Rare But Real podcast, Audrey Brogy will often be joined by her daughter, Grace Anna, and her daughters-in-law, Maureen, Cassett, and Marilyn, who desire to be discerning in a day when everything seems to go against God's design. Join them in the journey of becoming rare but real. It takes courage and conviction. And now, Audrey Brogy. Hey there, I am so glad that you are listening to this podcast today, and today I just want to share some things with you that I hope will encourage you. You know, I talk with a lot of women, a lot of young women in these days, and and I'm so thankful for the opportunity and the privilege to be able to come alongside them and encourage them and um, share truth from the Word of God. I'm thankful, too, that I get to do that often through this podcast um, with my girls as well. But today, I I don't know, God was just um, prompting me to just share some things that I thought might be of encouragement to you. Um, and it's just encouragement from God's Word and a few things that might help you as you go about your life. So I just want to remind you as you go about your days to focus on the Lord. You know, there was a, there's a verse in the Bible from Isaiah chapter 23, verse 3. I memorized it a long time ago, and God often reminds me of its truth. And in the King James, it says it like this, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. You know, the New American. American standard says it like this, the steadfast of mine, thou wilt keep in perfect peace because he trusts in thee. And of course, you can change those these uh, to you, the steadfast of mine, you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Perfect peace. And of course, that's what so many of us as women want. We want perfect peace. But this, this passage is so clear that in order for us to be in perfect peace, we must keep our minds on the Lord. Um, I love that. Um, it's almost like constantly bouncing our thoughts. Our thoughts can take us so many different places, but constantly bouncing our minds back to the Lord and the truth of His Word, because it's the truth of His Word that will keep us steady. And we must trust him. And it fits so beautifully with what Paul says in Philippians in chapter four, you know, that passage that says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And of course, that fits so beautifully with Paul's exhortation to the Corinthians, when he says and tells them to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And and of course, that fits so well with Romans chapter 12, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what 
the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect, the perfect will of God. And of course, then Paul's words to the Colossians, it's like just so many passages come to my mind. But I love this in Colossians chapter three, verse one, he says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then in verse two, it's a very um, active verse. He says, set your mind on the things above not on the things that are on earth. I mean, that is so critical for us and it's very active. We have to take our minds, just like the active verse that says, um, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. It's basically, don't let your mind wander to things it shouldn't be wandering to. And then here, um, he's saying, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. And of course, I, I love the way the King James says it. It says, set your affection on things above, set your affection on things above. So it's your mind, your affection, not on the things that are on the earth. And of course, for me, I don't know about you, but I always have to remind myself of God's word. I always have to bounce back to the Lord's word, what he says, what the truth is. And I have to remind myself as well that I can't think two thoughts at once. I used to tell my children that when they were afraid or times dealing with their fears or if they were thinking thoughts they shouldn't be thinking and they were talking to me about it, I would often tell them, you can't think two thoughts at once. So you have to choose which one you're going to think of. You know, set your mind here. Don't set your mind here. It's like teaching them the principles from God's word. And so if our minds are stayed on the Lord, then his word encourages us and it it keeps us from being discouraged. If my mind is stayed on him, then instead of being anxious, he'll calm that. He'll calm my heart. He'll calm my mind. That's what Philippians tells us. And if my mind is stayed on him, then I want to obey him. If my mind is stayed on him, then that's certainly going to help me not be conformed to this world. I love the way another translation says, don't let the world shape you into its mold. I like that. I think about when I was growing up and and so many Southern cooks would, you know, have these molds, whether it was Tupperware or whatever, and they would put the jello in it and it would take the form of the pan. Same thing when I make my pound cakes today, whatever pan I put it in, the cake takes the form of that particular pan. And of course, the Lord is telling us that we're not to be conformed to this world. We're not to take the shape of the world. And if our mind is stayed on him, then and our minds will be constantly renewed. In fact, that's what the scripture tells us as well when you look at in, in Colossians chapter three. If our minds are stayed on him, then we're going to want to seek the things above. Our hearts are drawn toward him. If we belong to him, then our hearts want to do what he says and our affections will be toward him. But of course, all of us have to choose where are we going to put our minds? Where am I going to set my mind? It's very active is something that we do. And then another thing that will help you and that encourages me is to that phrase um, from that old poem that Elizabeth Elliot often quoted to do the next thing. And of course, I like the Bible's um, uh, terminology, the way Paul calls it, pressing on. You know, from prison, he was writing to um, the believers in Philippi. And after listing all 
all his worldly accomplishments, he said this in Philippians chapter 3. He said, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I've already obtained it or have already begun. I'm perfect, but I press on. I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. I love that. And then he continues and he says, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on there it is again, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I mean, don't you think we all need that reminder as women to press on, even when we feel like not pressing on? And of course, you know, he continues in verse 17, he says to join in following his example. And of course, this exhortation that he was writing to the Philippians, but it's for me, it's for you. We are to press on, to take the next step. We're not to focus on the past so that we're hindered by it. We're not to focus on the future in great detail in worry. We're to forget what lies behind, learn from it, but we're not to be bogged down by it. And we're supposed to reach forward to what God has for us ahead. And of course, with that, we're to obey the Lord one baby step at a time, knowing that he has the past and the future under control. He's not limited by time. Nothing is past or future to him. And then another thing that might help you is to major on the majors. You know, I I think often about Lot's wife. Well, I shouldn't say I think often. I think about her sometimes. And if you remember, Lot and his wife were living in that uh, city called Sodom, and it was very affluent. Sodom was prosperous. It was very wealthy. And of course, we all know, if you know your Bibles, you read your Bibles, it was extremely wicked. God tells us that in his word. And God was going to destroy the city. But before he did, he wanted to get Lot and his family out of there. So he sent angels there. But if you know the story, Lot hesitated. His sons-in-law, of course, thought he was joking when he told them that they needed to leave. The angels, the scripture tells us, had to grab Lot to get him out. And they directed him and his wife and their two daughters to get out. And as they were fleeing, Lot's wife looked back. And Genesis 19 tells us, but his wife from behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. I mean, it's interesting. She looked back. It's like this picture of a woman who majored on the minors of life. She's totally oblivious to the sinful world in which she was living. Lot's wife apparently loved Sodom, and she loved Sodom so much that she's looking back like longing for it instead of what God had for her. Sodom was her world. And Of course, Lot's wife reminds me of so many of us as women today, you know, um, and I don't want to be like her. You know, I don't want to be a careless woman, a woman who is just at ease, who's complacent and kind of not really realizing what's going on 
around me. You know, I don't want to be like her, maybe content in the wickedness of that city, loving the everything that Sodom offered her, whatever those things were, the pleasures of Sodom, the comforts of Sodom, the affluence of Sodom. I mean, you know, she's a picture of a woman who was unconcerned about her relationship with the Lord, much less her own daughter's spiritual condition. She was obviously unaware and irresponsible. She was caught up in her own little life, not realizing or caring about how serious the situation was around her. And like I said, I don't want to be like her. And, and I certainly, don't want um, other Christian women to be like her, not understanding how serious the times are in which we live. We don't want to be women who live with no purpose, just whiling whiling away the days, uh, majoring on the minors, you know, just scrolling, scrolling, scrolling with no purpose, not serious about the important things of life. I mean, obviously, we should be women who know how to have a good time and enjoy life. God wants us to do those things. But we also have to be the kind of women who are thinking in terms of preparing our children and our grandchildren of the coming judgment, talking to them about the Lord, talking them about the seriousness of following Christ. And of course, Lot, you know, she and her husband, Lot, they should have been living this pilgrim lifestyle. In fact, that's what the Bible calls us if we belong to him, that we're pilgrims in this world. This world is not our home. And so we should be living a pilgrim lifestyle, not being swept up in it, into all the glamour and the prosperity of the culture as if this is all there is. You know, and while we should love our country, we also should, and enjoy our lives here on this earth. We should know that we're pilgrims. We should also know the seriousness of our day. We understand the bigger picture, and we know that this world is passing away. We know what God has said. I mean, He says this in First John um, chapter two. He says. Um, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. I mean, God doesn't want us to be attached in an unhealthy way to this world. He has put us here. He wants us to enjoy it. He wants us to live for him while we're here. And so he wants us therefore to major on the majors of life. And then God wants us to do what he's called us to do in spite of um, our, in spite of maybe fear, in spite of our feelings, in spite of our circumstances. And in terms of fear, you know, I I remember what I've heard so often. Courage is not the absence of fear, but doing what needs to be done in the face of fear. We know that because it's not courage if you're not afraid, if it's not very hard. Courageous Christians, though, they uh, understand the big picture, the big purpose, and they develop this unshakable trust in God and His Word. They look to the Lord who is on the other side of the trouble and the circumstances that they face in this life. And God tells us to realize and to expect that this life is and will be full of difficulty and trouble. He doesn't tell me that because he's a 
pessimist. I mean, of course he's not. God is just telling us the truth. He's honest with us. And this world is full of trouble. He tells us that in John's gospel. He tells us that all over uh, the scripture since sin entered the world. It's full of heartache. Yet God also tells us that in the midst of all of that, we can have peace because of who he is. Remember how he met with his disciples in the upper room before his betrayal? He was getting ready to go to the cross, and yet he says this to his disciples. Um, He says this in John 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. There it is. It's active again. Take courage because he knows that when we look around and we have or or when we have horrible things happen and there's so much tribulation in the world, he knows our tendency is going to be afraid to live in fear, to be afraid. And that's why he says, take courage. Why? Because you're this trouble is going to go away. No, he says, take courage. Why? Because he has overcome the world and it is in him we have peace, not in ourselves. He says that in me, you may have have peace. So, therefore, we do what God's called us to do in spite of the fear we may feel. We also do what God says we are to do in spite of feelings that we may have. I, you know, my mother, um, when I was growing up, often said to me, sometimes you have to keep going even when you don't feel like it. She was teaching me a very important lesson lesson because there were lots of times that I didn't feel like doing what I needed to do. But so what? She says, do it anyway. And many years ago, the Apostle Paul wrote about these very kinds of things. It was in Philippians uh, chapter one. I love that when he says, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances, remember his circumstances were that he was in prison. He was in prison because of the gospel. Yet his perspective was so great about that because he said, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. I mean, listen to his perspective. He was looking for the good that was coming out of his imprisonment. The gospel was spreading the The brothers were having courage, but he was also a realist in the sense because he said this, some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love. He's talking about the ones who do it from goodwill. He says, because they know that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. But he says the others, the former, talking about the ones who are preaching Christ from envy and strife, they're doing it out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. But then he continues, he says, well, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. So Paul, in his circumstances, he was making a choice. I will rejoice. I mean, have you ever felt like not rejoicing in your circumstances? I mean, really? I mean, I have. God says, though, we should do it anyway. And we don't, we're not, we're rejoicing in the midst of them, not necessarily because of them. Although God is always going to use our circumstance for our good and his glory. And of course, not just through Paul's example here, but all over scripture, God tells us that we need to make conscious, deliberate choices to rejoice. That's what he tells us in his word. Rejoice always. Again, I'll say rejoice. And this is why in the, 
same letter later on, Paul tells the Philippians again to rejoice. That's what he says, to rejoice in the Lord. He wasn't asking to do what he wouldn't do. And in verse 19, he says this, for I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ shall even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. I mean, we see he's, he's a man, you know, he's, he's a person like us and he wanted to get out of prison. I mean, that's what he's saying. He says, that's his earnest. That's how he describes it. According to my earnest expectation and hope, he did, but he didn't want to be put to shame. And it's, there's an important point to be made here. Just because Paul was choosing to rejoice in his circumstances didn't mean that he didn't want his circumstances to change. But even if they didn't, what we see here is that he was going to rejoice anyway, because his concern was that Christ be exalted. And that's when he wrote the words that we've heard uh, many times. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I mean, it's really amazing, isn't it? It's just amazing, his per- his grip on the purpose of life. He didn't live by his feelings. He said to live as Christ, living for Christ. Living is Christ, and that is so great. And we ought to think about that as women who know the Lord. Living is Christ. We get to be used by Christ as long as he's given us breath in our children's lives, in our husband's lives, in the women that we meet, in little children that we get to have an influence on. Living is Christ. And what is better than living with purpose each and every day, having meaning for existence, with uh, this job that we do for our Savior, the Savior living in us. I mean, the evil one is the one who came to steal, to kill, and to destroy, and he wants to, to make you depressed. He wants to make you sad. He wants to make you not remember why God has put you here on this earth. I mean, what's better than the purpose of Christ in me and his living his life through me? Well, there is one thing Paul says, and that one thing is dying. I mean, he's, and of course, he says, you know, dying's better. And the reason he says that is for the believer, dying means to actually be with Christ, absent from the body, home with the Lord, face to face, no more seeing through a mirror dimly, no more only knowing in part, no more mystery. And that's why he said to die is gain. But we have to understand as women, Paul wasn't saying, okay, then, then I want to be taken out of this world. He wasn't saying that. He wasn't in despair. He wasn't depressed. He wasn't at the point of not wanting to live any longer. He had such a sense of God's presence in his life and such a respect for God's sovereignty in his life that he fully trusted God to decide when his work on earth was done. And this made him unafraid of dying. And it also gave him such wonderful perspective because I love what he says next. He says, but if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I am hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ for that is very much better. That's what he says. And we know it's true yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. 
And convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. So in one direction, he had this desire to depart this life and to be with Christ. But yet in the opposite direction, he knew that God still had purpose for him right now on this earth. And he knew that for him to remain on with the believers on earth was more necessary for their sake. I mean, it's so great because this just... just even if we had, didn't have anything else from Scripture, we know from this that it's up to the Lord to decide when our ministry is done. You know, I mean, and, and here with Paul, he's admitting his dilemma, you know, and 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 he's saying that as he's admitting this, he was convinced that God wanted him to live on for now, to remain longer in this life because God had purpose for him. And of course, the reason he gave was not because he was afraid of death, but because he knew God wanted him to continue to help believers with their progress and joy in the faith. God had more work for him to do in the here and now. And if you're still taking a breath, if you're still here on this earth, that's because God has more work for you to do for him in the here and now. And so Paul's heart was to be where he was most useful to the Lord. He didn't want to go home to be with the Lord until his ministry was fulfilled. I mean, y'all, there's so much application for believers in this passage. And again, if we're still here on this earth, it can only mean one thing, more fruitful labor. God has more ministry for you. He has more ministry for me. He has purpose for me. He's not finished with me here. So sometimes as women, we get, or we can get so caught up in our problems and that we forget that to live is Christ. To live is Christ. And we need to look at everything from that perspective. You know, I mean, we don't need to get tired of living. We don't need to be in the depths of despair. You know, and and it's not just sometimes older women who will feel this way, tired of living. More and more younger women feel this way. They get so bogged down and, and I don't know, focusing on all the wrong things, not setting their minds on the Lord. You know, that's what we have to do, that he will keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. And that's what we need to do. And I told you a few minutes ago that it's the thief, Satan, who comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But what did Jesus come to do? He said, I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly, not just life, but abundant life. That's what he says. And Paul understood this. I love that. And his perspective came from uh, wanting what was best for the cause of Christ. His heart was that Christ be exalted by his life or by his death. And he knew it was up to the Lord to decide, not him. Doesn't that give you great confidence? Just doesn't that help grow your confidence in the Lord? It does for me. It does for me. I love that. And I, and I know that there are a lot of women, whether they're young or middle-aged or old, so many women, and we, you can read the statistics on it, are just, um, you know, they're depressed. You know, whether it's clinical depression or whether it's just feeling sad or whether they just have, have a dreary outlook on life. But that's all the more reason that we need to focus on God's word when we feel despair rather than listen to ourselves or to the evil one. And of course, that was the struggle of the psalmist in Psalm 42. Um, let me, let me turn to it so I, so I read it correctly. 
um, it says, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of His presence. Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Hear the psalmist, how, how realistic he's being about how he feels. But then he says this, Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime and His song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me, revile me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you in despair, O oh, my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. You see that? You see how the psalmist um, recognizes his despair and he asks all these questions, but then he tells himself from, from the word here, if you, you could go circle the phrases, you know, when he says, why, why are you in despair? Why have you become disturbed? And then he said, then he tells himself, hoping God, praise him for the help of his presence. And then he tells himself to remember God. And he says to talk about his loving kindness in the daytime. And then he says, and his song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. And then he ends this with saying, hoping God again, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. I mean, don't you just love that? I mean, God is, shows us in his word that, that we all feel that way sometimes. And we have to remember what Jesus said, that Satan is the one who's the thief. He doesn't want you or me to hope in God. He wants to steal our joy. He wants to slaughter us. He wants to destroy us. He wants us to be depressed, despairing, living with no hope. And God is so clear in his word not only that he's a thief, but he's a murderer and he's a liar. There's no truth in him. He's the author of evil thoughts and shame. His desire, once again, is to destroy us and he'll do it however he can. He wants to keep your mind off of the word of God. He doesn't want your mind stayed on the Lord. He doesn't want to see God's word honored. And if you're honoring God's word in your life, he'll work on you. He can't, he can't unsave you, but he can certainly cause you to focus on doom and gloom and despair. And of course, he's very crafty. He doesn't, um, you know, work out in the open and obvious places because he's a schemer. He plays in secret and he can look and sound very Christianese. He can he can say those kinds of things and he'll take God's word and he'll distort it. He is such a deceiver. I mean, and God wants us to be wise to that because that's the, the things I just told you are all in God's word. And Paul tells us in Corinthians that he disguises himself as an angel of light. Speaking of Satan, he stirs up gossip, whisperings, envy, evil thoughts, because that's who he is. 
and he doesn't come clean. He's not the one who tells us that he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's what God tells us. And Jesus said this to some Jews in, in, um, let's see, in John chapter 8. Eight, he says, you are of, when he's talking to them, he says, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer, and here he's describing the evil one. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. I mean, think about that. You know, I mean, just think about it. You know, even today in the day and age in which we live, when you have faithful pastors and people who speak the word of God and they're telling the truth, people don't want to believe it. They would rather believe the lies of the world. You know, I mean... (laughs) That's that's who the evil one is, and he's. I mean, he is. We're just in a culture that's on. There's just an onslaught of lies that people are believing, and and Christians, true Christians who stand for truth, are the hated ones. I mean, it's true. It's so overwhelming. Um, it's but you know, in the midst of all of this. You know, God tells us, he reminds us, the thief, that he's the one who comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. So while he's out to destroy, Jesus is out to save. And greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. You know, I I love that old hymn that says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I mean, if we've come to know him, we can know that he lives in, in us, and we can know that we can enjoy the abundant life even in this world, no matter what the criticism, no matter what the persecution is, no matter how bad the world is, no matter how overwhelming my own life circumstances are sometimes, we can still enjoy the fullness of the Lord because of who he is. Is because it's in him that we have peace. And that's what Paul was expressing, not just getting by, not just surviving, not just biding his time until the circumstances changed. No, he was, even in that prison, experiencing the abundant life, whether he was there or whether he was at a prayer meeting, whether he was shipwrecked, which he was, or if he was on a cruise, whether he was beaten up or whether people were praising him and hugging him and not wanting him to leave. Whether he was young or whether he was old, whether he was sad or whether he was happy, you know, that's who he was. And God is, and he's, and he wrote that book of Philippians to us to encourage us. And, um, and he, again, while he was sitting in that prison, even knowing that there were some believers who were glad he was there, he chose to rejoice that God was using even that circumstance to further the gospel. It's so amazing to think about. And, you know, women, life is difficult. I mean, sometimes it's just so overwhelming. Sometimes it's so painful to the depths of our souls. But even in the midst of all that, Jesus says that he came that we might have life and we might have it abundantly. And so therefore, I want to encourage you as God reminds me and encourages me, don't listen to the evil ones. Set your mind on things above. Don't waste your time dwelling on things that are not God honoring. We don't have time to listen and indulge in those kinds of thoughts. Those kinds of things will steal our joy and we can't let that happen. We don't have time as believing women to hold grudges against 
people or to rehearse wrongs that we may have experienced. We don't have time to compare ourselves to other people and and get depressed because, you know, we're aging or because, I don't know, anything that's happening in your life. We don't have time to, I mean, we only have so much time on this earth and we have, we, we need to busy ourselves with doing the things that God has called us to do, pressing on. And uh, we don't even have time to listen to our, our own self-absorbed thoughts of pity. You know, <laughs> there was a time, I remember one time when one of my children was complaining because we went to one restaurant instead of another restaurant. I mean, think about that, just just that thought for a second. We were going to a restaurant and it wasn't their favorite restaurant. And this particular child child was pouting and saying out loud how it wasn't fair. And we always get to go to that restaurant because that's where so-and-so wants to go and blah, blah, blah. And I remember just, I just had it. And (laughs) it's like this child picked the wrong time to complain about something so dumb. And and then I just said, look, (laughs) Jesus said that he came that we might have life and we might have it abundantly. And you're going to choose to live that right now or you're going to write 100 sentences and copy that verse 100 times when we get home. What do you want to do? And of course, that particular child quickly changed expressions and said, oh, I love this restaurant. It's one of my favorite restaurants. I don't know why that came to mind, but it did. Anyway, um, then remind yourself too that I, as I often have to do that God is in control he cares for me and when I do this I have peace I remember a long time ago when I was uh, on a flight after being with one of my children and I had to change planes in Dallas and when we landed I followed the concourse to my gate um, thinking that I would have a little time before boarding the plane but as I walked up I noticed that the passengers were already getting on the plane and I looked at the monitor and I realized this plane was going to New Jersey and I was very confused. So I checked my ticket again and yeah, this was the right terminal. It was the right gate. And so I asked the ticket agent who then informed me that the gates had been changed and now I needed to go to another gate. And so I did that. But when I got there, I was told that my flight had been changed because the plane was broken and now they were rerouting all the passengers to different flights. And after some confusion, I remember the woman at the desk told me that I was now going to miss my connecting flight in Atlanta, but she would reroute me again and she hoped it was okay, but now I would have an hour and a half layover in Atlanta. Well, it was fine. I was in perfect peace for some reason. I guess I had set my mind on things above that day. The ticket agent was apologetic to me, and I told her I was fine because I just very simply said, you know, God's in control of my flights. And I remember her saying thank you, and she gave me a food voucher, which I certainly enjoyed, so I could have lunch when my flight landed in Atlanta. And then while I was waiting to board, I remember this older man came up to me and he was telling me how he was so irritated because of all of this confusion. And now he was going to miss his granddaughter's recital and his grandson's t-ball game. And I said, I'm so sorry that you're going to miss those events, but I don't know. And I did know, but, you know, I didn't want to be preachy, but I said, God's in control 
that's all I said. And I don't know really why I said it. I just did it. But that's what I was thinking about because that's what God had been reminding me of. And that's what came out. And like I said, I wonder for a brief moment if he thought I was being preachy. But it was true. God is in control. Anyway, we finally boarded the plane and I had planned on, I don't know what I was going to do, but sometimes, you know, you just want to get on a plane and you don't plane and you don't really want to talk to anybody. But um, anyway, while I was sitting there about 45 minutes into the flight, I just heard someone come up to me. I mean, I heard someone say, you know, as he was coming up to me, Miss, excuse me, but can I talk with you for a minute? And I looked up and there standing in the aisle next to my seat was the same older man that had expressed all that frustration to me at the Dallas airport. He said, I just want you to know how much I needed to hear God is in control. Anyway, it turns out that he was a brother in Christ. We talked, and God had placed us us together for just that moment. He wanted me to know that he believed God had sent me to him. I mean, and that's so simple. That was just, you know, God is in control, four words. But he is. He is in control. And as he walked back to his seat, I just remember thinking four simple words, and I was worried that I might sound preachy, but I also remember many times in my life when God has placed people in my life to tell me something like that, to tell me the same thing and to remind me that God is in control. I love Colossians 3, verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You know, I mean, we need to have that kind of habit of letting his word dwell within us. That's how we're going to set our minds on the things above you know, that's how we do it. That's how we, how we let, you know, have the right attitude and the right perspective is to let his word richly dwell within us. We have to have his word in our hearts. You know, I was talking to my daughter recently and she was saying how she didn't, hadn't had time to have her quiet time that morning because her day had been so busy, but she wanted to, you know, she wanted to. And um, just because I guess she hit the ground running with the needs of her children. And I just reminded her, you have a treasure trove in your heart. It's like, let God bring that to your mind. And that's why we, we learn God's word. That's why we memorize it. That's why we get it deep within our hearts, because then we have a treasure trove there. And I, you know, I mean, that's what God says. He wants his word in our heart. And, you know, that's why it's like, how can a young man keep his way pure from Psalm 119? He says, how can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word? It's kind of like, how can we walk through this life and, and not be, not sin so easily by having his word hidden in our hearts because God is faithful. He brings his word to our minds when we're tempted to be anxious, when we're tempted to sin. God does that. He does his job, God, the Holy Spirit brings all those things to to our remembrance. 
And so, you know, we need to get his word planted in our hearts. You know, um, it hit me hard one day a, a long time ago. I had read an article about an old blind woman who had memorized many books and chapters of the Bible using Braille. And I remember when I was reading that, I was feeling so convicted because I can see, I can read. And as I read her story, I wonder what would it really be? be like to know the Word of God like that, not to just be familiar with it or know where things are, but to really know it. And so, I don't know, at that time, I I kind of made this determination that I wanted to memorize a lot, as much of God's Word as I could. I want wanted to have that reservoir in my heart and I ask him to help me learn it not just to be familiar with it or or even just to study it or just to read it but to but to memorize it to get it in my heart and not just rope memory though at times of course that's been my experience but I wanted heart memory you know once again you know Psalm 119, thy word, your word have I hidden in my heart. I think one of the translations says treasured in my heart. And I wanted this kind of treasure. You know, in Psalm 1, his delight is in the law of the Lord. I wanted that to be my delight. And that in his law, he meditates day and night. I wanted to know what it was like to meditate on God's word day and night that it's in my heart. I wanted the, you know, I just wanted it so much. And of course, sometimes memorizing God's word has been a lot of fun. Other times it's been so hard because it's discipline. It's hard work. It's harder to memorize things the older I get. And and I've reached heartbreak hills and many times I've felt like, you know, not doing it. And of course, sometimes I'm just lazy about it. <clears throat> but sometime along the way, you know, I remember a long time ago when I read the biography of of St. Patrick to one of my sons, and I don't know how much he got out of it, but God pierced my heart once again, because I read after he became a missionary to Ireland, he only had one hand-printed copy of the Bible, and he had to build a layered hut with a hidden room to protect it from those who wanted to destroy it. What would that be like? Only one copy, but it was his treasure. What would it really be like to treasure the Word of God? I mean, all of us probably have so many copies of the Bible. Is it our treasure? I want to encourage you that it would be your treasure. And that, again, that it would be my treasure. So, as I wrap up this encouragement podcast you know, just remember, focus on the Lord. He will keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on Him. You know, press on. Forget what lies behind and press on to what lies ahead, what God has for you. Remember, to live is Christ. To live is Christ. Major on the majors, not on the minors of life. Don't be so in love with this world that you are so wrapped on it, uh, wrapped up in it that you're not concerned about the seriousness and to do what we need to do in this world and to, to teach the truth to our children and grandchildren, to the women who are coming up behind us. And obey God. Obey Him. Obey what you know in spite of fear, 
in spite of your feelings, and in spite of your circumstances. Remember, hope in God when you're feeling despair or lonely or low. Remember His goodness. And then remember that God is in control. He is sovereign. He's on His throne, and He cares for you, as First Peter tells us. And he tells us to cast all I care upon him because he cares for us. And then he tells us in Psalm 139 how he is behind us. He's before us. There's dark is not darkness to him. We can't get away from his presence. He's in control. And then let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. I hope this has been an encouragement to you. I know it has for me just talking about these things. Father, I thank you for this podcast once again and for all of the men in my life who produce it and make it happen and and just for the the privilege of being able to share God's word with so many women. I pray this is an encouragement to them and to me. I pray you continue to use these things in my own life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you enjoyed this episode of Rare But Real, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. And share this podcast with friends. Follow Audrey on Instagram and Facebook at Mothering From The Heart. And listen to all her messages on the Search the Scriptures app.